Hey, you beautiful fucks. This is episode seven of the Becoming Human podcast, and I'm your host, Will Nelson. Ever since my mom drugged me to church every damn Sunday, I've tried to avoid letting very religious, preachy people into my life. It was completely met with fucking disdain. As a kid, I thought they were out of their minds. I'd listen to their crazy fucking stories of some space magician, and it also kind of made me feel more isolated. But my friend, Ian Rogers, he made me see through my bullshit and assist me in cultivating my compassion for people who choose to devote themselves to these pursuits of life to come from a place of understanding and love, regardless of our indifferences or lack thereof. But I wanted to know more. How could such an interesting, rational man such as him, not preachy, fall, fall into this kind of pursuit within his life and all these weird, stone agey fucking um, restrictions and and ideas on how to live your life and how to treat others around you. Um, I didn't want to, I don't want to come at a place of try of talking about something when I have no idea myself. So I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper and it just really surprised me to see how enjoyable it was to be Ian's friend and how the religion didn't really come up between us. Um, in this episode, Ian weighs his concepts of morality, how his religion plays a part in his interaction with the community at large, what sparked his drive to become a musician, a computer programmer, a Mormon, and a father. We also talk about the philosophical value and application of religious texts, because regardless of whether or not that shit fucking happened, it was recorded by somebody at some point in time, and it argues morality among a whole shit ton of other things giving you a slight glint to our ter- interpretation of the world at that time. Ian also describes his relationship with music and what exactly got him interested in hip-hop and producing, despite not having the ideal amount of time day-to-day. Because for most of us, it seems fucking insurmountable, like an obstacle that we'll never overcome. But it's all imaginary. It's all constructs of our mind. So just kind of exploring someone in their own journey through that hope it helps somebody out there. No, it helps me. Uh, his stage name is Heuristics, and you can find him on SoundCloud and Facebook. I'll drop the links in the description. And here we go. I'll play you in with a track by Heuristics.
like, I got a little brother who's six, and uh, he was born when I was 17, so I've experienced a lot of it, just not quite on such a direct level, so... Uh-huh. There, there was a good bit that I knew what to expect, but... Really cool, and it's, in, like, especially when you kind of have that primer to it, whereas some people... You know, yeah, yeah, it, it was very much like that. That's kind of what I experienced, too, is um, despite having my son so young, I was just so used to, uh, I guess, raising people's kids that mm -hmm. it, it wasn't that big of a thing for me, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. That's excellent. Oh, man. All right. And then, so, how'd you guys, what, what made you guys choose this name? Like, uh... Um, well, so my name is Michael Ian mm -hmm. Rogers. Uh, I was named after my dad, um, who's also Michael Rogers, but, like, they call, like, my family, well, I also have an uncle, Michael. Mm -hmm. So my family called my dad Big Michael, and they called my uncle Little Michael, and they didn't want to call me Baby Michael because they figured that would cause some issues at around like age five when I didn't want to be a baby anymore, etc. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that so they uh, so Ian I think was like one of my dad's roommates like at some uh -huh. point, um, and he just liked the name, so they decided to call me by my middle name, and and I really like it, so I kind of wanted to make it a tradition of Michael middle name Rogers. Oh. And Jen and I were just kind of going back and forth with names, and and uh, well, you know, uh, like it, it's super random, but you know, uh, Quentin Newsom from the Aesop Rock yeah. group. Yeah. Yeah, I like saw him post something. I was like, Quentin, Michael Quentin. Hmm. Hey, Jenna, how do you feel about yeah. this? And and that's just what we ended oh up landing God. on. Like, I had suggested like Michael Isaiah and Michael Logan and a couple others, but she didn't mm -hmm. really care for him. But. But we ended up agreeing on Quentin just stuck. That cool. is cool. I like that. Yeah. And I like how it has that kind yeah. of um, that backs to it. it. It makes it more interesting. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. The, um, what do you call it? So I wanted to talk to you about. I'm really curious because I see like the music that you're working on, and you just seem to have this in unique blend. I guess Cause a lot of people kind of that I would meet, I guess, in my day to day life, they would aspire to, you know, go to school and get a job. And then that's kind of what they dedicate their life toward. But it seems like you have programming and then you have other things, too. And I'm really interested in, like, kind of expanding on that a little bit. And yeah. Um, well, I guess I guess going back to where it all started, mm -hmm. um, I've always been fairly technically competent. Um, anytime there was like a computer issue or, you know, like my parents got like a new sound system for the TV and I, I was the one who set it all up and just figured it out. Mm -hmm. um, I took like some engineering courses in high school and thought that I wanted to go to college to be a mechanical engineer. Um, so, so there's always been that interest and that, um, and that yeah. affinity, uh, if you will. Uh, but on the flip side, I've always also really been into music. Like, I had, um, I started playing tenor saxophone in sixth grade and played that all the way through uh, senior year of mm -hmm. high school. Uh, marching band, concert band, jazz band, the works. Um, and then I also, like, taught myself guitar, taught myself piano, yeah, some, wow. some other stuff. Yeah, I have, I have a good time. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a good time. And uh, more recently, I've been going to karaoke. Yes. Yeah, that's a good time. Like, um, the the main ones that I do, uh, I've done the Monster by Eminem. Ooh, really? That was a lot of fun. I gotta hear this. 
Yeah, that one that one gets crazy. Like when you get into that third verse and like just the rap is really yeah. fast. It's like ah, like when you hit it and it's uh-huh. just a hundred percent. Then oh, uh, there's nothing to beat that, that feeling. State and just pin on it. Oh, my oh God. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so uh, so then in so then I graduated high school in 2011. Um, unfortunately, because a professional level tenor saxophone is like four yeah. to five thousand dollars. Uh, I never owned one, wow. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're pricey. They're pricey. Um, so I never owned one. I just rented from the school. So I stopped playing saxophone after I graduated, um, yeah. which makes me sad because it's yeah, it's just a really sexy man. instrument. It's been but one of my dreams, <laughs> dude. It's it's a good time. It's a good time, and it's uh, it's a little more. Um, it's a little more intuitive than like other woodwind instruments because like with the flute you have to like hold it yeah. here and have it exactly going to the right angle and and the clarinet is just like such a smaller window but it's a lot easier to pick up saxophone oh, wow. I, I felt like um yeah, i tried the yeah, flute yeah so for like a year and a half you, and it took me about a year to be able to use the flute properly so yeah, definitely that saxophone <laughs> would be up my alley yeah yeah and like especially especially on a side note, uh, especially with how many like old school golden age boom bap beats have like those, those oh, yeah. flute loops, like oh being able to play those myself would be amazing. But yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so uh, then I am mm-hmm. I'm LDS, yeah. uh, commonly known as Mormon. So in 2012, I went and served mm-hmm. an evangelical mission, um, and was gone in Long Beach, California for two years. Absolutely loved it. Uh, met a lot of people that I feel like were put in my path to kind of re-engage my interest in music. Like um, there was a guy who taught me like vocal uh, technique lessons, and and he was a really really cool guy. Um, during like during like the, the little free time that we had, I would go and mess around with the piano and had a good time doing that. Um, met a couple DJs, met a couple rappers, mm-hmm. just v- very cool people. Um, so then towards the end of it, uh, I realized that I just couldn't see myself sitting at a desk and creating microchips yeah. or missiles or whatever as, a, as an engineer. Um, and that I really enjoyed like communicating with people and talking to people and, mm-hmm. and having that interpersonal connection. So then I was uh, like towards the end of it, they, they kind of let you go during your free time and go check out school stuff to start prepping for, for getting back into the real world. So I found, uh, I, f- I found this degree program for commercial music, and it's basically at the core, it's your standard music pr- uh, theory and performance, like any other music degree. But then your electives are music technology, audio engineering, mastering, um, but then also like music business, marketing, uh, th- uh, networking, things like that, and. And there it was, staring me in the face. I was like, "Dang, this is what I want to do." Um, and then, uh, and then you mentioned like the the programming and the IT stuff. Um, so I was, I was living with some members of the church for for about six months, and their daughter and son-in-law live out here in Utah, where I am now. They came into town for Christmas. Really? And and we started talking. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he asked if I had, and he asked like how how long I was gone, how long uh, I had been out, and I was like, oh, I go home in like a month and a half. Um, uh, my parents live in Utah now because I'm originally from Texas, but that's another story. Uh, and he basically like offered me this job, and and it was oh. for a kind of consumer tech support job. He would get me on in sales to start out with, uh, but then yeah. he, I love this guy to death. But he promised me that, that I'd be able to move over to tech, into tech, and the way the oh, company no. grew and changed, that just didn't pan out. Oh. But <laughs> but it's all good. But it's all good. So it's been um, it's been a year and a half that this company called iTalk um, and was able to finagle my way uh, to a position that was in direct contact with the decks. So because of that, I was able to learn mm-hmm. stuff just kind of from osmosis and, and, uh, and exposure, which was a really, really good um, opportunity yeah. for me. Just that I picked it up really well because I had always had that affinity, uh, like I mentioned. And and from there, uh, after a year and a half, I was able to get uh, enough experience, and I met up with this company that does IT recruiting. So they go out and find you a job, present you, give the people your resume, and set up a time and everything, and they kind of um, what's the word I'm looking oh, for? Okay. Advocate for you, yeah. So, so they, and like, if if you're good and you're, and they gave me like a little test, and because my test was a little bit higher than average of people with my amount of experience, they were able to like push for a little bit of a, um, of a higher starting wage and things like that. Um, so from there, I was able to get an actual IT job, and just picked it up really, really quick. Um, and I've had a couple of just kind of internal support. Uh, helping helping employees with like email access mm-hmm. and basically anything that they need to use or need to do, um, and then now I have my current job, which is a combination of sales and accounting and tech, and yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So wow, and so it almost kind of seems like you you travel the path of least resistance to, I guess, fit your niche in a certain way. Um, yes and no. Um, like, there was definitely, I definitely had a very open mind, a very, you know, wide vision of, like, okay, what opportunities are before me, and here, let me take the one that, that seems the most promising. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, you know, worked hard to make, to give myself the kind of, um, the kind of skills that I needed to, to be presentable. I mean, that, like... I kind of downplay it yeah. and just act like it was really natural, but there was a good there was a good bit of study and a good bit of practice that went into it. Exactly, I would imagine, especially for something where a lot of people, I guess you could say, would spend years going to you know more of a formal education for that, as opposed to you just did it self-taught, and that in in and of itself is seems pretty insurmountable to most people. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like, if if there was a message that I could get out to anybody. It's that you don't have to go through like the formal education path to be able to to make a living. Yeah. Like there are hundreds of resources. Um, Code Academy, you can learn to code. Uh, uh, Khan Academy. Um, the the one that I'm looking at right now is called Cybrary. Cybrary. C-Y-B-R-A-R-Y. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's Cybrary.it, and they have 
massive libraries of video courses that would be exactly what you're taking. Really? If you were to go, if you were to go to college and take a, um, and take a like a network technician, uh, or a or any kind of uh, information technology mm -hmm. degree. Wow, and it's interesting too because in the field, it, they're they're the most lenient in understanding about a degree isn't really necessary. I guess it's yeah. Um, Especially, especially because in IT there are a lot of like independent mm -hmm. certifications. So, like if you have the knowledge, then you can go and pay. It's usually like three or four hundred dollars, and you take a test. And then if you have that cert, it's like as good as having a degree because it says, um, like the main one that people get first usually uh, is the A plus certification, which is anything hardware, software, um, workstations, servers, just just that that mm -hmm. core of IT. And then you also have like networking, and you have security, and and other certifications from there. So, what kind of um, led you to, or leads you to continue to pursue the IT um, technology and programming? It's I understand you do have that affinity, but is it still maintaining? Like, is it still somewhat of a labor of love, or is it to be able to maintain, like, meet your needs, basically? Um. Like, it's a blend, but I'd say the the meeting needs, um, being able to provide for for myself and for Jenna and, and now for Quentin, um, is is the bigger part of it. Mm -hmm. Like if I if I could, well, if I was still single right now, I'd probably quit my job and just go pursue, you know, get some shared room and just pursue producing music and selling beats and just try to make a living off that. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I have to have we have to have our two bedroom apartment, and, exactly. and there there are bills to pay, and there bounced feet. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, but luckily, the position that I've gotten myself into has made it to where I can pursue these intellectual pursuits of, of learning more IT stuff, learning networking. Um, that's really interesting, mm -hmm. by the yeah. way. Just some, just like I've worked in my job for a month, and just the stuff that I've picked up already is is crazy. It's blown my mind. But stuff I've been studying for the past, like, I don't know, I've been doing, a, like, computer sciences for about three years now, and I just, I love it, man. It's it's amazing. Right? I, in terms of, yeah, like, and I hated math, and I never expected for me to enjoy it as much as I have. It's like a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't mean to cut you off anyway. No, 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 you're good, you're good. Um, but luckily, I'm also in that position that gives me the time and, and gives me the, uh, the, ability to work on the music as well mm -hmm. and and really that's that's where the passion is yeah. uh, like uh you, you're familiar with uh with mike bro mm -hmm. uh dirty jobs yeah. well he he did this video with uh with prager you a page that i follow on facebook um and he basically said he basically said don't follow your passion follow it wasn't follow the money, but that was basically the idea he was giving, and then take your passion with you, which is what I feel like I've done with IT. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. So, like, followed the opportunities, and then brought my interest and my and my passion with me. Uh huh. At least that's at least that's what I tried. Yeah, to do. and I I think that and it's kind of beautiful that you have go about that with intention, or at least now you know what I mean, because a lot of people are kind of walking through without ever asking themselves those kind of questions 
And the cool thing that I think makes you uniquely you in terms of the way that you express yourself through your music is it's flavored because you're not in this situation where I ah, just go make music, you know, deal with it and figure it out in the situation. But because you do have a kid and you, you do have your wife and everything that you all of the things that that just make you different. It makes what you express beautiful, unique and interesting. And yeah. Absolutely. I really appreciate I've that. Just, I've realized this more and more because people will always tell me, not they won't always tell me, but a lot of the times I'll hear people saying, well, I my life is not open enough for that, or that doesn't fit in my life to be able to pursue what I want or ask myself these questions. And I always think it's more or less a matter of whether or not you actually want it and whether or not you have the, I don't want to say courage because no one's less or better for it, but the ability to step out and mm -hmm. actually make that change or pursue what you truly enjoy. Absolutely. Um, kind of along those same lines, there's this there's this philosophical idea that I've been kind of tossing uh, around in my head of the contrast, well, not the, the contrast, but the opposition between freedom and security. And... I've found that, you know, that there is that, that fundamental um, contrast uh, in that in order for you to be as free as possible, you're giving up any sort of safety net. You're giving up any sort of security. Like, that. that's, well, going back to, to my job situation, like, I could have the greatest freedom to pursue my desires by giving up the security of having the IT job. But, but on the flip side, you know, a lot of those people that I've met and talked to who have that, that attitude of like, oh, I don't have the time to pursue, uh, you know, my hobbies. I don't have the time to, you know, I, I can't start that business right now. Um, I really want to, but I can't right now. Well, you can. It's just you're holding on to that security too much. So because you desire so much security, you desire so much um, protection from, you know, potential uh pitfalls and so forth, you're giving up that freedom to be able to go out and pursue what you really want. That's incredible. <laughs> I've never, and I've never been able to really articulate it in that way that it's, it's made that much sense. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But it's, you're right. I definitely see that balance because now that I'm thinking about it, I, I remember these um, very memorable people in my past who uh, have either had tales of like suffering or the greatest success in trying to find their own fulfillment and satisfaction and it is I see it as a matter of some people who invest I don't want to say it for lack of a better word invest heavily into freedom and then others who have invested heavily into security and you can see these caveats and how it's crippled them but also how it's it's just made these weird I don't want to say I guess malformations yeah. of personality yeah it's and it's it's not a it's not a perfect idea. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, once you've once you've you know, if you're some Wall Street investor and you've made up made millions, you know, bam, there you have your freedom and your security. Yeah. You get to have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't apply in all situations. But for the common man, you know, guys like you and me who are just out here grinding and trying to find our way, you know, it, it it's a good thing to think about and finding that proper balance to be able to. To improve yourself while making sure that you and the, those you care about are safe. Yeah, 
and I think having that balance, that's what kind of more or less makes a diamond in a sense. Not the struggle of it, it's just the unique variations and the balances themselves. Oh, yeah. It it creates these beautiful expressions of consciousness. Oh yeah, because if you have if you have all pressure and no heat, you're just gonna have sandstone. Yeah. If you have all heat and no pressure, you're just gonna have magma. You gotta have the balance of the two to have the diamond. And an interesting thing that I'd like to it's kind of off topic, but talking about those like a Wall Street investor who um, they have their cake and eat it too, for instance, have all freedom and security. There's that considering that, wouldn't would you consider if you were to like take a objective perspective on our society, as if you were an standing from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't you think that there is a limit in a sense? Like as to when you get to a certain point where that balance, for instance, freedom and security, um, it it doesn't really matter because you have so much security that it's not even a question. Um, Do you think that's that's too far, that caps should exist? I've always been curious about this, and it seems like you would have some interesting insight, like finance or income Um, caps. Oh, okay, okay. Um... I'm I'm definitely one to uh, to be more on like the libertarian side of, of socio political and, and economic things mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, I I believe that if an individual works hard and is smart, then they should receive the the fruit the fruits of their mm-hmm. labors. Um, you know that that also comes from having that religious background. You know, by by the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread. Um, I don't. I what I have a problem with is when uh, well, the, the, the actual term for it is uh, crony corporatism, which is basically when a corporation goes and uses their gains to buy out a lawmaker and then get them to make laws that make it harder for other people to to compete with them. And then when there's no competition, they can Breaking the increase game, the basically. prices and they... The exactly, exactly. And that... that see, I, especially with... Uh, with like Bernie Sanders coming up in, or who, when he was coming up in this uh, election, um, and and a lot of people's opinions there, you know, they they decry capitalism. They're like, ah, you know, people shouldn't be able to earn that much money. Well, no, people should. They just shouldn't be able to block other people out yeah. with that money. Um, I mean, so some of the greatest things that we have in our lives have come because you know somebody somebody with money went and invested it in a way that created some innovation you know and that extreme hunger that like i don't want to say extreme hunger because i really don't know them but i mean i imagine whatever hunger it is to get up there financially speaking oh yeah like, oh yeah must i i imagine that that motivation that momentum is the drive is also like you said the driving force behind innovation in and of itself as a species yeah, like, yeah definitely i mean Ultimately, we should want to innovate just to help people, but but you know we're we're imperfect people. We we live in an imperfect world, and that innovation is so much more likely to come if you know there's that that incentive of profit yeah. behind it. Like just people are going to want to um, people are going to want to create the next medicine. They're going to want to create the next product, whatever it is. Because they know that they can sell it. You 
think that we're kind of moving in a in a point in our culture or moving towards the um, destabilization of like a labor force in transition to create more of these products i guess you could say because we're automating labor forces and we're yeah. focusing more heavily on expression and this is where kind of i see how it is and it's interesting with the computer programming and it's also interesting with your music too because we're getting to this point to where the most valuable thing is intellect expression and well the other thing like the the stem and it's labor yeah, yeah. is becoming a thing that's it seems to be fading away not being very valuable or required yeah and and, and that's a terrifying thing for a lot of people um I, well, my, my opinions, uh, my opinions on this, you know, go back yeah. to, to my religious upbringing, my religious faith in that, you know, I, I think, I think the reason things are, you know, approaching that destabilization is just because mm -hmm. the world is becoming more and more evil. Like there's just more bad in the world, more people who want to, um, who want to take away people's freedoms, people who want to uh, remove the element of choice and agency that I think is absolutely mm -hmm. uh, integral to everyone's human experience. Um, but then, you know, I, I am also of the of the religious opinion and of the faith that uh, that Christ is coming again. So, so it's <laughs> it's funny. Um, I don't know if you wanted to get into, into a big religious discussion, but, um, uh, all right, man. So it's funny. Uh, I, I had this thought, um, <laughs> how much context do I need to provide? <laughs> so, um, so one of the, uh, one of the unique tenets of, uh, of Mormonism of the LDS faith is uh, a belief in a pre-existence. So before the earth was created, we all, uh, lived as spirits with God, and God gave us a plan, and Satan came up and he gave a, nif a different plan. Uh, basically, God's plan was that we would be able to go out and make our own decisions, that we'd be able to fail, uh, but that our failures could be made up through a Savior, through Jesus Christ. Um, and then on the flip side, and th this is actually the doctrine that got me thinking on the mm -hmm. whole uh, security versus freedom philosophy. Um, on the flip side, Satan gave this plan that he that he would come in, he would save everyone. Not a single person would be lost. Um, he also he also gave some some caveats like that he would receive God's uh, glory, that he would receive the credit for it, basically. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, the dividing line came down to man, I'm hot. Goodness. Yeah, I know, right? It's like ninety over here and humid. It's ridiculous. Ah, oh, it gets it gets that high in, uh, yeah, in Washington. Well, not as much. Uh, I, it's becoming California over here, so uh, okay. I'm happy about okay. it though. At least it's not snowing. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrible, but so um, so yeah. So that's the context where I got that uh -huh. that philosophical uh, thought from of the difference between like God's plan, which was freedom and the opportunity to choose to uh, to overcome our failures and then being forced to not have any failures uh, giving up all of our freedom for the security of uh, of all being saved but 
losing out on the uh, on the experience and the learning of it. Um, and then I kind of forgot where I was going with this. Um, Man, I feel sheepish. Uh, um, the oh, we were ta- we were talking about the uh, the the economic and the and the destabilization yes. that we're moving towards. So um, it was interesting. Um, and then on the flip side, after you know, after the pre-existence and, and this and this Earth, um, we believe that when Christ comes again, He's going to set up this system where everyone takes care of each other. It's, it's called a it's called the law of consecration, and basically you. Uh, you covenant to provide your, you know, what you have to to others, and the uh, the caveat being that uh, those who are living in this community are those who have lived their lives in such a way um, that that they've done everything they can to give up those moral um, failings. That would cause people to, you know, take advantage of such a system. Like you look at, you look at any of the major communist uh, countries. You know, you, you've got massive, um, you know, sl- slaughter of people who disagree. You've got uh, massive food sor- food sor- shortages because those who take advantage, of, who are taking advantage of the system, ruin it for everyone else. Um, so it was now I'm getting to my point. Um, it was interesting to me that like every every socialist or communist uh, community, everything that everyone was pushing forward with, towards with uh, with Bernie coming through um, and running for president, it was it it seemed to me like a an attempt to recreate this this system of consecration, but because people were trying to you know, take take this shortcut way and not become the kind of people that can live in this society and you know make it work properly. Um, that's why that's why those sort of systems fail, and it, and it becomes instead of instead of you know let's take care of us, let's let's work together. It becomes what do I get? You know, who's going to pay off my student loans? Who's gonna who's gonna make sure that my rent is paid? Huh? Oh, you're good. Go on. And it, no, go, go, go ahead. Well, that, that, that's just what, um, that's just what bugs me uh, in terms of that level of, um, or not, not even that level, that, that line of thinking. Uh, yeah, and kind of that, that I, that E, that self, that center, that self-centered kind of, I guess, uh, perspective and something that I think is heavily coming from like uh, the libertarian, or not libertarian, but the liberal, just the, the things that are, I guess, being communicated across the internet and yeah. the, the general opinion now. It's really interesting the places that it's going and some of it does kind of irritate me to the point to where a lot of it seems to be this I, this ego, this entitlement. But at the same time, though, I think that within, like, recently, we've, we've reached such a drastic change within the last 50 years that at no other point in time we encountered. And it's almost as if we're a species who has no idea how to deal with this because oh, yeah. it's, it's only like a blip in time. And it, 
hasn't even begun to evolve yet because it has not had the time at all. I mean, it's been in within my own generation. This this development or metamorphosis is oh yeah, just, oh yeah. It's it's interesting. Like um, I, I joke and say that uh, that our our generation, the like, I don't really consider myself a millennial, but there's not really anything that comes before it that I would fall into. Yeah. So it's like I, I think of myself as like a pre-millennial, but. Uh, basically, our generation, I, I kind of joke, jokingly think of as the Forrest Gump generation. <laughs> like, we were, we've just been here for everything that's happened. Like, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, remember, I remember, you know, being five or six years old, and we still had a phone that, we still had a corded mm-hmm. phone in the house. And then I remember that progression from, to, uh, to like the cordless phone, and then my parents' first cell phone was the uh, was the Motorola Razor, which was just the yeah. hottest thing, you know, in in, uh, in what was it, ninety nine, two thousand one, whatever it was. Um, so cool, and just, it's it's just crazy. Like, it is. It's like we're we're hyper evolving, and I can understand with in terms of the perspective of your religion and your religious uh, beliefs and views and stuff, and. For, on a personal level, I'm always really interested in those, I guess, those areas in life or those areas, those ideologies, um, all the way from Eastern yeah. to Western spirituality and religion. Because for me, and I know it's at least, it's safe to generalize that it's applicable to everyone, that it's yeah. a, at least philosophically relevant. So it, there's always something to pull that's relevant to your life, regardless of whether or not you fully... Whether or not you actually believe yeah, in exactly. it and, and subscribe to it um, yourself. I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah, effect absolutely. on people, too. Like, it it's also seems to be something that is nearly crucial to our species throughout looking back in history. And not just religion, necessarily. I don't... I don't want to, I guess, make that misrepresentation. But religion, uh, spirituality, shamanism, this form of uh, community belief system. And whether it's a deity or stars. Or yeah, well, it's... I, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion that it's a very normal human well, well. desire to worship things. You know what? Like, and even, even now today, um, it, like... Uh, I'll, I'll put... I'll throw out... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the entertainment industry. You know, there there are there are teenage girls who, yeah. for lack of a better way to say it, worship Beyonce, <laughs> and and will follow what she says to the ends of the world. Um, you know, I've I've seen her be called a uh, an amazing role model, etc. I my my opinion on that front is irrelevant. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was going to say slightly frightening, but I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, like my perspective. I I. Let's just say I, I I was more afraid to have a daughter because of uh, because of the world that that we're living in right now. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, it's I terrifying. was too. Especially especially when I buddy was talking about when he walked in on his niece and or no his aunt or his sister was telling him about he walked in on his niece and she was like 11 years old. I don't want to, but um, and she was having a threesome in the living room. Oh my room. gosh! Like, yeah. At 11. Just like yeah. Yeah, she had all these. Yeah, I'm like, oh, but how do you? How do you? I don't, I don't know. And it was, yeah, for, and it's crazy. It's like, 
because with a boy, for some reason, it's, yeah, I don't got to worry. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, but it's not intentional. It's, it's, I'm trying to be honest and authentic with it because it is an emotion that instantly pops up. Like, oh, I got a boy. I don't, yeah. I don't got to worry about it. Well, I think, um, I think that, like, I understand that. I think that stems from, you know, just the, the potential consequences of what he might do. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, especially, you know, just having a kid, um, and going through the process of labor and delivery and, and being there for it all, I realized, wow, Jenna and I made the exact same choice and her consequence was so much greater yeah. than mine. Like, like. Oh, wow. It's like it's crazy. So yeah, I completely understand. You know that that feeling of not being as worried about a son as you would be for a daughter. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't. I did not think about that. And even like uh, our societal norms too. If a guy walked away, usually the, it's changing now. It, it is changing. But the guy. But we are obviously not catching up with our body. It takes a while, like hormonal responses oh, yeah. and stuff. Oh yeah, like we still but, have the the instincts and the hormones and go, going on, yeah. etc. And the guys being the providers uh, as a species over thousands of years, in, it would make sense because women just make kids and women are. This is fucked up, but and I don't mean it, how it is, <laughs> but women are burdens in that sense, like uh, on resources. So you yeah. have to collect more. More, so yeah. more, uh, more responsibilities than burdens, I would say, because like the yeah responsibilities. There like, we go. When, when I when I pull out when I when I move Freudian slip there, uh, when I pull <laughs> back and think about it all, um, you know, I I think of things in terms of uh, in terms of evolutionary uh, drive, in terms of survival instinct, mm -hmm. and I realize you know having like. For the male of a species to want to provide for and take care of a woman, of of, of the female, um, is is perfectly rational. Just in terms of, you know, that's how you make sure that your genes get yeah, passed on. Your lineage goes like forward. Exactly. And you know, if you're if you're a uh, a male whose genes are worth anything, then you want that to happen. And that's it's kind of been an interesting like for me growing up it's been a really interesting journey because I've never really had a um, I guess a role model mm -hmm. nobody who ever taught me kind of what what my role is so, so it was more or less imagined yeah so so on those lines um, if, if you don't mind me asking like what are your what are your like famili familial background um, what, what was your situation growing up uh, basically what happened was, um, when I was five, my mom kicked my dad out and, and my brother. And then it was just my mom and I living together. And it was a constant situation of from the time that I was six and on that she would berate me with the words like, we're in the same boat and you got to help me. And my, at one point in time, I went to see a counselor when I was, I don't know, in my teens. And um, they categorized it as a husband and wife relationship, emotionally. Mm. So whereas I was relied on as the, the head of a household or something like that. And up, um, I, by the time I turned 10, we left California. And I didn't see my family for about 12 years or 13 years. And then I just saw my dad for the first time last year with my son. And so we've been up here and she'd always... Wow. Ask, I'd, Go down there, or for the first time since you were five. Yeah. 
Holy smokes! And it was it was a trip. They they tried to buy, buy me plane tickets, but my mom said that I'd be like a loser like him and stuff like that. And so having my son in my situation, it's caused me to make a change because I'm very I try to be very mm-hmm. introspective, and my my motto is I at least fuck him up in a different way. Because I understand that, like, no kid's perfect. <laughs> as long as I do it differently. Yeah, of course. Hard. Of course. Like, they're, they're always going to have, you know, some something that, mm-hmm. that jacks them up. Um, it, it, if anything, our responsibility is to make sure that they're strong yeah. enough to get through it. Because something's going to happen. And, um, and I'm, I'm really lucky. Uh, just because I, I feel like my parents were very successful on that front of making sure that... Um, Regardless of what happened to me, I was able to pick myself up and, and move forward. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's like that's fundamentally all that really matters is to be able to assist in making and strengthening them, also providing a safe space to where that they could test how this world works until they're ready to really test how this world works yeah. without having anybody to create that safety net for them. And yes. Yeah. The, it's been really interesting because I think I've benefited from being without a dad in certain ways because I didn't have any preconceived notes of how I thought parenting should be because I didn't trust my mom so I went to uh, Early Head Start which they you basically consult with uh, someone who's from early childhood de- development have, has a bachelor's degree and so okay. they tell you all of the recent things and you try to you can choose to parent by those rules and then they evaluate and continue to work and it was it's worked wonders for me i mean it's, okay. it's that's it's awesome been really interesting and then um and then how are if, if you don't mind me asking you uh how are things with your parents now um with the like, they're they, fine they've always up op- yeah fine. they've always operated when they were together it was crazy and chaotic but afterwards, it's always been like a, a brother and sister relationship. Except my dad's a tweaker, but yeah, just <laughs> just with that little hint in there. But yeah, things. Well, no, nothing's gonna be exactly. perfect. Exactly, so. and there was so. that was the blueprint though for the relationship with my ex-wife, is because I stayed mm-hmm. there at the house, or I stayed the night at their house, and with her stay there and everything. When my son wants me to stay the night. And so it's I'm able to have maintain this friendship with her. Oh, so so she has a she has a new oh, yeah, like a month fiance that. It was, yeah, it was, it was ah, no, it was it wasn't that bad because it was, we were basically together for the last year because it was cheaper for like the house. Mm-hmm. And we got in the situation, we got married because when she got pregnant, the only way to, for me to get benefits um, was to get married so I can get legally emancipated. And, uh, hold on one second. Lost the headphones. Yeah, just a little bit. And where's my snare? Then, I don't have snare in my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And it was, we kind of just married because we were together because we thought we should be. We okay. thought it was better for our son. But we learned that uh, we were just mirroring a poor relationship and teaching them that's what love like, when in reality that's not the case. It was, yeah, and then I had a neighbor though, and not that I, I don't know what your opinion is on it, but, and not that I'm judging anybody in this, this in this situation or no the police system, 
But he comes up to me, and I don't I don't know what religion he was, but, and I don't know if it was even a search that, but he was like, you guys got divorced? Why would you do that? I'm like, because we never loved each other. It's like, you have a kid. You're not allowed to do that ever. And so what's your mm. take on that? I don't, I, I don't understand that. Um, and I'm interested. So, is that is that a religious how, how thing, or is that from? So him? it it definitely is for a lot of people. Um, there there are a lot of people, uh, who you know have these strongly held religious convictions, especially in uh in the LDS Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are certain aspects of like, uh, we we jokingly call it Mormon culture. Yeah. Uh, that I really don't uh, ascribe uh-huh. to, but um, I believe that that sort of sort of judgmentality does stem from for 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 most people it, it stems from a an earnest caring um and you know wanting someone to have uh you know to to have the happiness that that we've felt yeah. through um through following the uh, the tenets of the religion um because like basically you know, as I'm sure you know, basically all religions are comprised of beliefs and mm-hmm. behaviors, you know, uh, commandments and so forth. Um, I, it, it's interesting. Um, I actually had to, I actually had to think pretty hard about this in, in, uh, in deciding that I politically, uh, favored like a libertarian mm-hmm. philosophy. Um, because, you know, there are things like, like abortion and, and, uh, and, you know, drug usage. A lot of libertarians are for um, decriminalizing the drug, uh, yeah. drug use, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and basically, I was I was just going through the Book of Mormon one day, and I found, uh, and I just I just kind of stumbled across this verse that uh, that really cleared it up for me. And it was, um, and and the days of the children of men were prolonged that they would have time to repent. Um, basically. Uh, in my opinion, you know these these sort of things shouldn't be so strongly fought against because for some people they are the means whereby their days are prolonged, whereby they have more time to learn from their mistakes and to improve themselves because of them. Um, and ultimately, yeah. if, if somebody is able to do that, then I'm happy for them. Uh, reg- regardless of the, the mm-hmm. steps or the falls that they had to take to get there. So, um... <laughs> I really like that, though. And that's actually Thank you. Coming from, you know, a completely open and accepting perspective, that's, that's always something that I fully and wholly embrace. It's when I get... I don't know, it's, it's hard for me when I see people operating from, you know, like this closed, snap judgment kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, um... But I don't... Yeah. And for me, a big part of it is about a balance between um, between tolerance and acceptance. Like I, I've, I am very much the kind of person who will tolerate people who do things that go against what I think should be done. Yeah. Like I, I absolutely respect you know people people's rights to have whatever beliefs they want to uh, do whatever actions they want as long as they don't infringe on my rights. Um, I don't consider myself to be accepting of, you know, of certain life. Ab- abortion is a big one. Yeah. You know, I, I am definitely an individual who believes that uh, 
I don't have like a set time, but before a child is born, they are a human being. Mm-hmm. So I, I am. I tend to be. I tend to be against late-term abortions, but I also am tolerant of those who choose to to get them. Okay. If that yes, makes sense. It does make sense. So I don't. I don't accept it. I don't. You know, tell myself, "Oh, that's that's an acceptable thing to mm-hmm. do," because I I just don't believe that. But I respect people's rights to do things that I don't. Yes. Agree with. Okay, so it's a thing that is done. It's just not something you. Sh- I see that. Yeah. And that's- yeah. And and for a lot of it, there are thing there are things that I don't think should be um, illegalized. I don't think you know the government should should be going in. Um, to these sorts of things and making them illegal on a moral uh, on a moral standpoint like legislation of morality is just a bad idea to me I completely agree with you because then it's basically coming to the point to where freedom of thought freedom of freedom free will you know Mm -hmm. severely compromised because if it does not affect the community and only affects the individual it is therefore not a problem of the community but a problem of the individual or mental health safe net or whatever yeah future. you know what i mean that's it, yeah no i understand what you mean it's um what do you call it i i really enjoy your perspective on that though because it's very conducive to a communal environment and it yeah doesn't, yeah and and i'm i'm definitely much more um of the responsibilities of the yeah. family and the responsibilities of the local community mm-hmm. um i i want <laughs> i want washington out of yeah. my life uh, I, I don't even want the state government mm-hmm. in my life. Um, you know, city level's just fine for me. Um, just because, you know, that communal aspect is the best way to know what an individual really needs. Yeah, and it's also, I've I've heard something, I'm going to butcher this, I'm going to butcher this really bad. I forgot who it was, <laughs> but it was, there was research that, that was done, and it showed that you only could remember about 150 people. That's all okay. that you can retain. And it also showed that there was a huge study that was done, and the bigger that a tribe got when it got greater than, I think it was about 150 to 200 people, then it would start to fall apart slowly. And it was showing that when you... So, I I think I do remember this same kind of study. I don't think it was, like, the number of people you can remember, but, like, the number of relationships that you can maintain. Yes, let's see this. So, like, so like for instance... Um, I have like 1,600 friends on Facebook. People that I've, uh, people that I knew in high school. People that I met in California. People that I met here. Um, people like you that I've met through interest uh, in in the same music, mm-hmm. things like that. I would not be surprised if I if there were like 100, 150 of them that I would say that I have a strong relationship with, and you know, am regularly uh, in contact with, and and so forth. And do you think that the uh here it's right dunbar's number is, yeah it's dunbar's number it's a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain stable social relationships yep there you go you are right perfect i'm going to i'm going to write that down can comfort he proposed that humans can comfortably maintain 150 stable relationships hmm. and so in a community though what I think, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a problem because we can't, we get into this idea where like, this regressive idea, I think, where 
oh no, we're getting so big and we're moving too fast, we need to slow down. I don't really think you put the brakes on this train. Um, and I, I think what it is, though, is how are we going to morph into something else? Like, you can't, you can't stop it and take it back. So you couldn't make small little tribal communities. The only way that you could do it is make small ecosystems within side of a city of itself. And, it's, yeah, and making people more connected because today it's like car, bubble, I don't talk to you. You know what I you're in just oh, yeah. in, oh, I yeah. think when you you have yeah like go ahead like the the greatest interaction I have with the guy in the car next to me is if he cuts me off and I flip yeah him. like that's exactly <laughs> or if I'm not paying attention I rear end him and then we're screaming at each other <laughs> yeah that's that's a bad yeah. day <laughs> and I I've never I haven't lived in the city in probably about I don't know, 12 years or so or 10 years like a substantial city oh. and so when I moved back out here to Seattle uh, I love it I want to take the bus uh, I want to be out on the streets and I've been here for about a year now and my little man loves it too because he just to enjoy the people and to bump shoulders with all of these people and collect these different stories from perspectives that you normally never would encounter oh yeah it's but Absolutely. I think we I think we have the, that's kind of lost and then to see that we don't have one solid, like, monoculture, I don't think we should. But, like, since we don't have this big culture that creates this community, I think most people are kind of born to like, live a life with a shallow commu at communal aspect, and that leads to greater unhappiness. It's all social yeah. media. Yeah, and, um, and along the same lines, I, I, I would feel like uh, people also try to try, try to force that communal aspect um, like that's that's what I see a lot uh, like uh, mm -hmm. like in the entire social justice movement um, you know where where people like the, the only way that they can think about this is by taking everyone who fits a particular yeah. demographic and just shoving them all into the same person so like yeah. that so like the the problem that I find with with those sorts of causes that it is that it requires to assume that mm -hmm. every single black person is just like every other black person, every single rich person is just like every other rich person. So that's why, like, you know, they'll take they'll take for instance everyone that makes a billion dollars or more a year, and just group them into this same like evil, uh, you know, oh like Scrooge type character. But honestly. Aesop Rock makes a million dollars a year, or he's worth a million dollars, or something like that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I went and uh, there's there's some websites of like uh, like celebrity worth, and I was just curious. And I looked them up. It's like holy crap. worth an estimated one to one point yeah, five million. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Go for go him. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it, it it makes sense. I mean, in two thousand three, he sold. Uh, what was it? Oh, what did LP say? Uh huh. Because LP, so LP has this diss track against Esoteric, and at the beginning he he goes over all these stats of scan, of sound scans, and I want to say, I want to say Bazooka Tooth sold like oh. seven thousand in three weeks or something like that. Like it was crazy, and that was in two thousand three. Like you know, yeah. you think it's it's over a decade, and he's so much Absolutely. more popular now. Um, anyway, so so, I mean. And then you get, as a result, um, 
this mm-hmm. this hatred of anyone who who breaks the the mold. Um, like one one of the worst things that I saw was uh, no. What is this? Uh, have, have you heard the term Spock? S P O C. So it stands for shady what? person of color, and it's used by and it's used by these uh, by these social justice warrior types to describe colored people who don't who don't have opinions in line with with the board, with, with the with the mob mentality. And that's like, that the most racist thing oh I've ever gosh. heard. No. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's 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 screwy. Um, so it 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 just ends up being you know a snake eating its own tail, um, and the, like especially you've seen like um, I don't know if you've seen on the news like the clashes between like gay pride parades and and Black Lives Matter and and things like that. Like it's it's just crazy. Like these yeah. people should be on the same side. And, and I I definitely like I'm I'm not. Mm-hmm. blind to it. I know that people have suffered injustices. I don't think that pursuing this this mob um, justice for them, you know, where like uh, one of the one of the things I advocate mm-hmm. for is um, like reparations for slavery. So five percent of white people in the United States have ancestors who own slaves. When slavery, yeah, he, okay, so, so here, here's some crazy stats. When slavery was legal in the South, only 3% wow, of really? free whites owned slaves. 3%? 3%, yeah. And, and they act like it's this massive thing. Um, in fact, it's funny, it's kind of ironic. Um, a free black person in the South was nine times as likely to own slaves as a free white person. 28% of free blacks in the South own slaves. What? That, that's never talked yeah, about. Yeah, and, like, no, it's not. It's not. Um, like, have you heard uh, of, like, the no, Irish slave trade? I just, I, the only thing that I remember about the Irish in, uh, being slaves is that they were heavily, um, they were a minority who was treated as bad as African Americans back in the day. Okay. Well, it could it could be our like we're we're going off on tangents now, but um it could be argued that they were actually uh, really? treated worse. Um, this this was a, this was another piece of irony that that I came up with. So, a a straight from Africa, you know, uh, a fob for mm-hmm. fresh off the boat African slave in in eighteen whatever the year was was very very expensive because you know they had to be. They had to be captured by the other Africans and shipped over and everything. So, what what they would do, what they would do, they also had slaves that came from Ireland. So they had white Irish slaves. And they would use the the female Irish women um, basically as, as breeding stock. And they would breed them with the African slaves, and that's where like the term mulatto comes from. So, the the irony to me that, that kind of struck me recently was the slaves that were that were beaten and were uh, dragged behind horses and, and all the terrible stuff that you hear. The irony to me is that they weren't treated like that because of their blackness. They were treated like that because of their whiteness, because it was their whiteness that made them less expensive 
so they could be treated like that. Right? What? That's yeah, nuts. and there's just like, there's this crazy, there's just so much crazy stuff in history that, you know, if, if you just... It's completely overlooked in this really Yeah, it, it really is, like... <laughs> yeah, um, and I can uh, I can go dig up sources for you if you want and send them off to you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and so did did they actually talk about this? Have you noticed that they've talked about this, like the the movement Black Lives Matter? No, no, and that, that's the thing. Like this? they, I I find it to be such a so. <laughs> like this is what I find so many organizations do is they take this good idea like Black Lives Matter yeah absolutely absolutely um, but then they take it and they just twist it in such a way that they, they becomes completely self-defeating um, you know the this the statistics have been taken and, and so forth um, and and I'd need to go look at this one but a in a situation where as an indi where an individual is uh, antagonistic towards police whether armed or unarmed because you know you couldn't do damage to a person even if you're not armed mm -hmm. that's 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 where the whole you know he was unarmed argument just completely derails for me is well, you can beat the crap out of somebody. People have been beaten to death. People have yeah. been, it's you just, know, it's killed, simply, killed with bare hands. It's simply a tool, that's all. Exactly. Um, so, um, so, so, in a situation where, where an individual is antagonistic towards a police officer, whether armed or unarmed, they have found that a white person in that situation is statistically more likely to be shot and killed by police than a black person. Really? Yeah, and, and this is the... Like, it doesn't seem like that because, you know, the... The, uh... News? Those aren't the stories that, yeah, that get headlines. Yeah. You know, it's... it's We're only hearing about and we're only told about uh, the situations that support... The, mm -hmm. the narrative, um, and like I like I said, I can definitely find these uh, these statistics for you and pass them on. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's and that's kind of where I think it becomes to a point to where I don't know if this would be stretching it too far, but um, news news source news as it is. I know news is kind of actually going away with social media and yeah. um, the whole communication literally at the snap of your fingers, but um, news being more of a cap, news being in like a free market and not, I don't want to say being controlled, but if it's anything but non-profit, for non-profit or anything like that, where it has this profit incentive, I don't understand. Yeah, and, and it, it definitely is difficult and I'm of the opinion that most um, yeah, that, that most mainstream news media is yeah. not objective. That whether whether it's left-leaning, uh, like your MSNBC and your CNN, or if it's right-leaning, like your Fox News, there is some sort of lean that leads to a loss of objectivity. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. And do you, um, how would you say that? Do you think it actually harms us or not? Do you think it's, uh, it's, do you think that it is one of the big reasons why we have this misinformation as a society? Because we're only fed entertainment news. Not saying by the government. I'm not. Yeah, we're, we're not. We're not delving into I'm the deep conspiracy the theories. Of, you know, every single thing that we see is fed to us by the government. No. But um, yeah, but on the surface of everything, at the very least, it's. I think it's safe to say that we're given what we would believe is most. Um, entertaining. Yes, I. I think. I think the biggest. You think it hurt. Um, I think the biggest thing that ruins that objectivity and ruins the. Um, the reliability of news uh, is confirmation of bias makes the most money. So if you are if you go out and spin your stories in a way that people already believe what you're saying, and you're just giving them the the bits and pieces that confirm that, that's when people are going to pay attention to you as a news source. That's what's going to give you the more more money, more ad revenue, and so forth. And that's where, like that, that's where uh, that's where that objectivity goes out the window. You know, pe- exactly. You're you're incentivized to only give the information that people already believe in. Mm-hmm. And you definitely see yeah. that with Fox News. I mean, Not saying it's just just saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> stuff like that is just yeah. It's it's awesome. Yeah. In the worst way, it's awesome. But um, anyway, well, like, I got I pulled you off. Okay, well, um, an, another example. Yeah, um, go for it. So, did did you did you see or did you read about the uh, the Democratic National Committee or uh, did you did you read about the DNC convention at all? Okay. Yeah, I skipped. Um, it. So I uh, again uh, on that on that kind of con confirmation bias theme. Um, I saw a guy posting about how, you know, in four years, Bernie needs to run as an independent. Mm -hmm. If this individual were, you know, paying attention to what he actually said, (laughs) Bernie went on stage at the DNC convention and endorsed Hillary Clinton and said on stage, on camera, that the Clintons were going to dismantle the oligarchy. If anyone in this nation are the oligarchy, it is the Clintons. Yeah. Yeah. So, in my mind, I see that and I think, I can't help but believe that he was he was in on it the whole time. That he knew that they were going to you know, scam the scam the the votes and, and fix it for Hillary. And then he was going to come in and try to get everybody who, you know, who fell behind his, who who got behind his promises of free stuff, and he was going to try to get them to vote for Hillary. Especially in consideration for, like, I don't understand how this whole idea of dismantling the oligarchy on her side of things, because taking, I think taking money, $250,000 for a speech to give to a bunch of rich rich dudes is that that does not sound um, no. does not it sounds like it no. contradicts that way oh yeah I think in, 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 a, in a huge way I well i uh 
I, I do not trust Hillary Clinton. I don't trust Trump either. Um, I'm I'm really not cool with uh, with this <laughs> with this election season. It's well, it's I think a, an interesting hole in it and kind of put it on its head. Like this needs to be changed in some way. It's just not relevant right now. We we need to figure this out. But also, yeah, it also brought to light that like what Trump did. Uh, he reminds me of like a a promoter for like a fight or reality or something like that but it what it really pokes holes in though is when you go up there and you listen to someone give a speech you're never getting an authentic them you're just giving them everything all the hot points that they know that people oh, yeah. want to hear and then they had a team that and, you, and you know that they have a team yeah. of, of speechwriters that are getting it all ready for And it's like beforehand. Hillary doesn't even the real voice and stuff like that. It's just this, it's like you're in sixth grade again, up at the pedestal, doing share, show and tell, and... Well, <laughs> speak, speaking, of, uh, speaking of sixth grade, um, this, like, this... This entire election is basically a sixth grade class president election. Where you have, you know, well, you had you had a uh, Bernie who was the kid who promised to extend recess and ban homework. Um, you have Trump who was the kid who's just kind of bullying whoever doesn't want to vote for him, and uh, and then you have Hillary who's the pretty girl that everyone secretly hates, uh, but she she says vote for me because I'm popular. <laughs> like that, like it is ridiculous. We have devolved to the sixth grade. I think it kind of hap- has to happen because this is the most disgusting thing that I could think of, and I don't know why I have to use it, but it's like a pimple, and it, it, the pressure it just builds and builds and builds, builds. and one day we get to Trump and Hillary, and it explodes, and this whole thing right. reforms, hopefully, right. in the future. That's why, like, maybe, I don't know, if Trump gets elected, just, it's just going to fall apart. I don't, uh, I don't remember who said it, but um, somebody said... Voting for the lesser of two evils will ultimately lead to a vote between Hitler and Stalin. Oh. Whoa. Oh yeah, right? Powerful. <laughs> what? It's freaking prophetic is what it is. Gosh. That is crazy. Um. Oh, yes. Music. Music. <laughs> Music. I got you off on a huge tangent. <laughs> yeah, no. I, 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 that's I, my favorite, man, the tangents. I can go off for hours. Oh yeah. So, with your music, so tell everybody what what kind of projects you're working on and kind of what kind of music you do, I guess, if you'd like. As of as of right now, um, I've I've kind of been able to get over this this plateau when it comes to writing, because um, predominantly uh, predominantly I started off as a producer uh, making beats. And I've always had this like desire to to also be like a performing artist and and sing and rap and things like that, um, but that's definitely come secondary, and I'm still not very good. But I have been on this. Yep, you're good. Excuse me. Um, it it kind of feels like a fast track almost of just like mm-hmm. lyrics are flowing and and like ideas are coming together. Um, like one one day last week, I was at work and just had like. I had like a couplet yeah. idea, and then just built on it, and then by the time my shift was over, I had a full, you know, two verses and a yes. hook written, and 
And it's funny, I actually went back to the original couplet and just killed half of it and replaced the first mm -hmm. line. So it, it, it didn't even still have the original thing that spawned it all, but it just... It, uh, it, it, it flowed for me. Um, so yeah, so, so that one I'm actually... Uh, once upon a time in the, in the Aesop Rock fan group, I put out a poll saying, hey, I have a new mic and I want to you know, record a remix of an Aesop beat, which one do you think I should? And, and the vote came back for, uh, for Wales, for the Hail, Ma Hail, Mary, Mally Hail Mary Mallon track from yes. the Bestiary album. So I actually found out that these two verses that I wrote, if I, if I kill the hook, it actually fits really well into the Wales beat. So I'm going um, to combine those together and kind of kill two birds with one stone. Um, just because of the, the whole, like, writing a whole song in one day kind of milestone. Yeah. 